Ephesians 3, verses 7 to 13 says this, Paul speaking. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery for which ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings, for you, which are for your glory. Lord, we thank you for Paul and for your word. We thank you for what he here encouraged the Ephesians with, and we pray that you would speak it to our hearts now as we consider your church on this day in which it was sparked to life. May you do something miraculous, wonderful, and long-lasting in us that we would know you more and that we would be more ready to proclaim you to a world in need. We ask this in Jesus' name and through the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to read out some vision or mission statements of companies that you will have heard of, big companies. And I want you, either on your own or with the person next to you, to guess which company it might be, right? There's statements that this is what we're all about. I'd love for you to think, who said these things? So the first, uh, a good and just world where people are not just fed, but fulfilled. A good and just world where people are not just fed, but fulfilled. Which company's vision or mission could that be? Any ideas? A company. You're not far away. For the tape, that was Bird's Eye and Asda. Um, Kellogg's, everybody. Kellogg's say that their vision is a good and just world where people are not just fed but fulfilled. Second, to inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, one cup, hint, and one neighborhood at a time. Well done, Starbucks. Okay, third, this company's vision is to create better everyday lives for as many people as possible. I heard that, but I'm not going to put that one on the tape. You've probably got something of theirs in your house. Furniture. Ikea. Ikea's aim is to create better everyday lives for as many people as possible. Okay, this is, this is number four. There are only five if you're not enjoying this. <laughs> to make the best products on earth and to leave the world better than we found it. Apple, well done. Too confident. 
answers there. The, to make the best products on earth and to leave the world better than we found it, Apple. Finally, this company's mission is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Google, well done. Google's aim to organize the world's information and to make it universally accessible and useful. What would the vision be, the mission statement, if you like, of most churches? Now, this isn't to cast aspersions on anybody, but if you went into most churches, I wonder if you might pick up that the vision or the mission is to still be here in 10 years' time, uh, to get through COVID and not have to hand the keys in because we can't function anymore. Some churches you hear a lot about paying their parish share. That's one of the joys of Anglicanism. Our vision is to be nice to the people around us, to do things as we like them, not like those enthusiastic or not enthusiastic people down the road, depending on how you see it. I was listening to a podcast recently where a guy called Vance Rausch, great name, eh? Vance Rausch, said that most people go to work each day for a company or an organization with a bigger vision for the world than the church they go to on a Sunday. He talked about it in terms of vision deficit, right? If Starbucks want to inspire and nurture the human spirit, now whatever that means, and your church just wants to pay the gas bill next month because it's going to be a really big one. If Google's there to organize the world's information and your church is just there to get through another few services and hope that something gets better somewhere down the line. Now, of course, I'm oversimplifying and exaggerating the case, but I can see what Vance Rausch means. Most companies have got a bigger vision for the world and the impact they want to make on the world than the pastor that leads the church down the road. Most companies are trying to make a bigger impact than the churches who claim to know the God who created all things and set the stage for everything that we could ever do. And I wonder, and I leave it as a question, I have no answers, but I wonder whether part of the reason that many people have wandered from church or never stopped to really give it a good hearing is because they find something bigger and more compelling elsewhere. The people that are probably religiously devoted to Apple or Google because they believe in what they're doing, who don't see that same level of passion or vision in the church down the road who claims to have the answer to eternal life. Doesn't feel right, does it, when God's vision for God's church is that it would display his manifold wisdom, in the words of our reading, and make that wisdom known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And what happens in the heavenly realms then translates down to what happens on earth. The manifold wisdom of God is made known through the church, Ephesians says, that the, the rulers and authorities might then influence things in such a way that the impact is felt here on earth. God's vision for his church is that this would be the place where his design for life is so evident and so clearly and consistently seen that the principalities and powers in the heavenly realms would look on it and see God's wisdom enacted in the lives of people and whole communities. God's vision is that it would, they would see that and it would cause them to worship. Because here we see something that is unique and unparalleled and glorious and wonderful. God's vision for his church is that it would be a colony of heaven. 
an outpost of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, before we all go and we're all caught up in the kingdom in its fullness when Jesus returns. We're an outpost here and now of his heavenly kingdom so that what's going on here in our lives and our networks, not just this building, but in everything that this church is for and behind, points to the greater reality of the kingdom of heaven is a little encapsulation of the healing and the truth and the worship and the wonder that we see in heaven and is going on around the throne of God now. We get an encapsulation of it here in our midst. God's vision for God's church, if you were to put it into a pithy statement that could compete with Apple's or Google's or Ikea's, might be that the gates of hell and the powers of death will not overcome it or defeat it. God's got a big vision for God's church, bigger than any company, because God says that here is the place that ends death, that ends suffering, that brings justice and peace throughout all the world, that orders things in such a way that heaven is seen on earth. God's vision for God's church is that the gates of hell, the powers of death, everything that opposes God cannot overcome it or defeat it, that this is a colony of heaven that points people to the greater reality. I don't want there to be a vision deficit. I want you to come to church on Sunday and have a bigger vision for life than the company that you work for or the friends that you listen to, the podcasts that you follow. This is the place where the manifold wisdom of God is supposed to be on display so that not just people on earth get to see it, but the principalities and powers, the the structures and the influences in the heavenly realms, see and hear the goodness of God through what goes on here in our midst. There's a biblical scholar and a brilliant writer called Peter Lightheart. I recommend his stuff to you. And he has this phrase, and he says, when worlds fall to ruins, the church is the catalyst of rebirth. When worlds fall to ruins, the church is the catalyst of rebirth. We're in this series called Spheres, thinking through how the kingdom of God influences every sphere of society, media and the arts, family life, government and public life, law and those kinds of things. We think about family and what goes on at home, education, healthcare, all these other things that you can listen back to online. And we're ending it today by thinking about what is the kingdom of God in the church? What's God's vision and design for the church? Because it's what we want to see here as well as everywhere else. Because while God is at work everywhere, while God wants to see the kingdom come in your workplace, your street, your neighborhood, your family, God wants everything to come under his blessing and his reign. God's work through history, which we see in scripture and beyond, shows us that God starts by calling a small group of people to follow him so that they then influence beyond themselves. God's way is to pick a small number within a bigger subset that they might influence everything. And we believe that God has picked his church to be that agent for the sake of the world. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, 
that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What's going on here is that 1 Peter is laying out what happens as individual people are called to God and then formed like living stones, it says, into a temple to God's glory. He's saying that you are a chosen people. You're God's special possession, built into something glorious that will be a sign to all the world of my goodness and my presence. God's work is to draw a few people so that everyone might be blessed. We see that with Abraham. When the world falls into sin, God calls Abraham to lead a people and to have supernaturally a family that will be a blessing to the ends of the earth. It wasn't that he cared about Abraham more than the person next to him, but God wanted to use Abraham to bless everyone. When Jesus comes to earth, right, the first thing he does is to call a group of people to himself, 12 people who'll be with him and be like him and start to do the things that he did. He didn't go to the masses, he went to the 12. He chose out of the masses representatives, if you like, that they would hear him and follow him and do like him, and then they would go and reach the whole world for Jesus, passing it on through the generations that's even reached us here today. When worlds fall to ruins, the church is the catalyst of rebirth, of renewal, of recreation towards God's kingdom. Abraham, one person amongst many, but to be a blessing to all. The 12 disciples, 12 amongst many, but they would be a blessing to all. And today, when God looks on the world with brokenness at every turn, anxiety sky high, suffering increasing, immorality, injustice, and everything else in between, God calls a people to himself to be like him, to do what he did, to become so saturated with the things of God, with the kingdom of heaven, that they spill it out all over earth and see flashes of truth breaking in over lies, healing over suffering, peace over anxiety, godliness over immorality, faith over fear. A friend of mine leads a church in Nottingham, and their vision encapsulates this really well. He says really simply that everything we're about is that the church would be on fire and the city would be alive. We want the church to be on fire, those who God has called to be passionate, to be worshippers, so that the city comes to life. God chooses some to be a blessing to all. And in this time, God calls people to himself, forms them into a church and says, from that place, go to the ends of the earth. From that place, see your workplace as your front line. From that place of encouragement and worship and blessing, take this to the ends of the earth. So, Simon, it all sounds great, but it's not been my experience of church so far, you might say. How on earth does this come about? Well, I'm glad you asked. We, uh, over the weekend, thought it's really warm and it's about to be half term 
And so, like I'm sure many other parents, we bought a paddling pool for the girls uh, and filled it up so that they could be outside and they love it already and it occupies them a lot and it's great. Um, We have filled that up with normal water and the girls jumped in and literally the first thing they said was, could you make it warmer? And I was like, no. (laughs) And they said, can you just go and boil the kettle, right? And just pour that in. And I was like, no, oh, I could, but it would have no difference at all. Paddling pool isn't massive, right? It's probably a metre, Adrian, wide, circular, filled up to your knees or so. Their solution is to get one boiling kettle, to pour it in and to hope that then everything becomes boiling, not that you'd want it to be that warm, but we'll deal with that later. Even 10 kettles worth, you might say, might have a, a discernible difference, but 10 minutes later, 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, it's just going to have warmed off, isn't it? What it would need is for a a heating element, something that can be in it, submerged into it, powered externally, connected to the mains, that will bring a difference, not just for 10 minutes in one small locality, but might raise the temperature throughout. What it would take to see this vision for the church as a colony of heaven that worships God and recreates the whole world with him is for Christians to be submerged into the world the paddling pool in this analogy, but powered from a completely different source. The solution isn't for us to get boiling hot once a year at some special conference or to go down the road to the church where everything always works and it's wonderful and then to pour ourselves out into the paddling pool. Because pretty quickly we're going to wear off, the effect is going to wear off and we're going to have to go and be topped up again. Those things are good, but it's not just about getting really hot one day a week as we gather in church on a Sunday and then pouring ourselves out and then realizing that we're cold again by Monday evening. There is a better way. The way to warm the world to Jesus is to stick very close to him. He used the word abide in me. Stay connected to me like a branch and a vine. Stick near me, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit, to stick near Jesus. Christian theology says that the Father and the Son are held together by the Holy Spirit. The love that they have between the two of them is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when you come to Jesus, the Holy Spirit does exactly that with you. He bonds you to Jesus, if you like, from the moment you confess him as Lord until the day you see him face to face. The way to influence the world, to warm the paddling pool, is to stick close to Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit and to stay close to him forever. Because then, submerged in the world, engaged in your sphere, wherever that be, law or family or engineering or home life, teaching, whatever it is, stay submerged in the world there. Draw your power from a different source, from the Holy Spirit. And bit by bit, see things warm up around you. Christians full of the Holy Spirit, who's first raised the temperature in them, if you like. Remaining connected to the world, are then enabled to see it warmed up towards Jesus. That's the invitation today. That's the invitation of the Christian life. To see the church as the place where we're encouraged and built up again where we come in and we feel like 
things are low or difficult. And, but through what goes on here, we get perspective again. So that we go out on a Sunday afternoon or a Monday morning and see our effort achieving the kingdom of God, bringing it about, speaking of it, praying towards it all week long. It's to be connected to this different source and to see the temperature raised because of it. The vision for the church that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, that comes in Matthew 16, if you know your Gospels well. That's when Jesus says to Peter, our namesake here, I'll build my church on you. You get the keys to the kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Matthew 16. Then we get the commission for the church, don't we? Matthew 28. Go into all the world. Use the authority that I've given you and preach the gospel to every nation. Reach the ends of the earth. Baptize them. All that amazing stuff. But it's not until Acts chapter 2, right after the end of Matthew's gospel, that the church is sparked to life. And that comes as the Holy Spirit fell on all believers. And didn't just fall on them and then leave. He fell on them and dwelt with them. Rested on them and lived even within them. The design for the church or the the instigation, if you like, that had come way earlier. What you're going to do, that had come earlier. But that hadn't brought the church about. What brought the church about and that sparked it into life was the giving of the Holy Spirit. To dwell and remain on people forever. What brought the church to life was this different power source, if you like. Not just your energy and your willpower and your determination, but my strength and my ability and my presence with you. Pentecost was a moment of extreme power. The fullness of heaven being poured into this upper room on all those gathered there. But it wasn't meant as a one-time or an irregular kind of zap. The kind of thing that you just get every now and again and then you flow on from there. Sure, there are those moments in our lives and they're wonderful. But the direction of Pentecost is towards an ongoing filling and refilling of the Holy Spirit. Punctuated maybe with those moments of extreme power. But replenished every day by a a personal Pentecost, you might want to say. The sense of being filled with the Spirit in Scripture is always to fill, to be filled and to go on being filled. The sense in which we abide in Jesus and we naturally are filled with his presence more and more, day by day. One thing that I'm regularly praying for us as a church at the moment is something that we get a bit of a hint of from Paul at the beginning of the passage that we read as our teaching text today. Here, Paul says that he is the least of God's people. And if you read other letters of Paul, almost everywhere you get the sense that he's very aware of his weakness and his lack. He knows that he's been beaten up many, many times and should really be dead, actually, the amount of beatings and floggings he's had. He knows that he's weak physically. He knows that his credentials, being this learned, erudite kind of guy, really amounts to very little. Paul is constantly aware of his weakness and his lack. He acknowledges that he's hard-pressed, that he's crushed, that he's weary, that he's flawed. But where for so many that would cause them to despair, for Paul, all of that causes him to depend. Paul doesn't say that and say, oh, woe is me, I could never be used by God. 
He says, woe is me, I need God more and more and more. I'm not despairing at my own situation, I'm depending on God. He says at the beginning of this passage that he serves the gospel by the gift of God's grace, given through the working of God's power. Paul knows that he's not strong, but God is. Paul knows that he doesn't have everything it takes, but God does. Paul knows that the work is beyond him, but it's not beyond God. People have said to me that the vision of this church, that it would be in every sphere of Bury as it is in heaven. People have said to me that that vision's too big. People have said it's beyond us. People have said it's unrealistic. That the best you could ever hope for is to play a tiny part in that and maybe just an even smaller bit than you could even realize. Now, I don't believe that's true. Not because I think we've got what it takes. Not because I think that we've got all the answers that nobody else has thought of. Not because we've got loads of people and machinery, if you like, infrastructure to make all of this happen. I don't believe that the vision's going to happen because of any of that. I believe it's going to happen because when we bring our weakness to God, he gives us back his strength. And when we give our inadequacy to God, he gives us back his ability. And when we come humble, he comes in power. We don't have what it takes. But we do have the Holy Spirit. We don't have the ingenuity, the answers to the problems of Berry that beset it at every turn, but God does. And through his manifold wisdom made evident in the church, we believe that we might be able to see a difference. When we're weak, we're quicker to come to God and to ask for his strength. And I'm praying for us that we would be honest about what we lack so that we come kneeling to God daily and saying, please, would you provide what we don't have? Please, would you give us the people, the resources, the Holy Spirit, the answers? Please, would you give us the connections? Please, would you work through them in a way that we can't on our own? Please, would you give us the Holy Spirit? I don't believe the people who say the vision is too big because God has said that the gates of hell won't prevail against his church. And he didn't put in brackets excluding Berry or excluding the UK or excluding 2023. God said, my church will prevail against the, king, the gates of hell, including Berry, including 2023, including the UK, including us, with all of our flaws and all of our inadequacies. God says, my power can be at work in you, can be at work in you. God says that my gospel still changes lives. That my spirit can still be outpoured on all those who come thirsty and seeking. And that my kingdom is still the one that's going to outlast them all. The vision is that everyone in the borough of Bury is within walking distance of a church that worships passionately, proclaims faithfully, loves wholeheartedly, engages winsomely, prays relentlessly, works tirelessly, loves authentically, transforms supernaturally, 
perseveres joyfully, heals holistically, serves compassionately, gives generously, hopes instinctively, and believes abidingly. And in the strength that comes as we daily depend on God, that and even more will come about in Jesus' name.